Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon better. We've been going through our series on prayer, and something that is different between me and my dad, and I don't know, you, you may listen to this and see which one of you you can relate to me or to my dad, but when it comes to projects, let's say the landscaping around the house, my dad loves for it to always be an unfinished product because it's always something where, well, you know, I, I built these steps and I built this and you know what, well, you know, we could maybe do this next and we could maybe, that's my dad. For me, I want to get it done and have zero things on my checklist because while it's an unchecked box on my checklist, it will eat at me. Every time I come home, I'll think, still haven't done that yet, still haven't done that yet. And my dad, it's, it's exciting, the possibilities, but for me, it's something that's present on my mind whenever I'm when it's Saturdays coming up, I'm thinking, well, do I have time to finish that project? And I, I won't stop thinking about it until all the boxes on my checklist are, are checked. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm going to uh, turn, I'm going to change the subject a little bit, but I'm going to stay in the same ballpark a little bit. I think we do the same thing, not just with projects, but with things in our life, where if there's something that's out of place in our life, it kind of eats at us until it's fixed. It's going to be something on our mind. If, if I've lost... How many of you maybe have misplaced your wallet and you're at work and you, you made it to work but you don't have your wallet and you don't know where it is? You can't even focus on your job because you're thinking through, where's that wallet, right? I've, did I leave it at home? Is it in the car? I practically have to leave my job to fix it. Otherwise, I'm not going to get anything done at work because I'm thinking about where's my wallet. You know, you know what I'm talking about, right? Or one day... I remember getting to work, sitting down at my desk, looking at my calendar and realizing it was Catherine's birthday and I hadn't said happy birthday that morning. Now, I had bought her a present. I had plans for that evening. But from 8 a.m. till, you know, getting at the office, I was like, you know, I, I, bet, I bet you I realized at maybe 10 that I hadn't said happy birthday. Didn't matter the rest of my day. You know what I mean? I was immediately DEFCON three. I was, I was like, oh no, this is the worst. And so I'm, I'm thinking through how, and I remember coming home. I think I came home with flowers and cookies or something and said, I'm so sorry. I didn't say happy birthday this morning. And she was like, oh, I didn't even, you know, necessarily, I didn't even notice it. But that thing being potentially out of place, you know, I, everything else went out the window. So in Hebrew, whenever Jewish people, Israelites, would greet each other, I don't know if they still do this today, but back in the day they would say shalom, which just means peace in Hebrew, peace. And the thing that I've, I think I've articulated in class before is that the word peace doesn't just mean like, oh, I hope you have a peaceful day, you know, peace, like the 70s. What it means is peace, like I hope that all of your life is whole and complete. And the reality that we know is, is that if you have your life and you've got all the pieces of your life, your family, your work, your social life, your, if you have all the pieces, if one of those pieces is in turmoil, it does not matter if you have all the other pieces. That thing is on your heart. If, if you could have the most wonderful things going in all the rest of your life, but if you've got family drama going on, you are in turmoil. Does it make sense? You could have everything else going great, but if some kind of health thing is out of place, you are consumed by it. And what I, what I want, these things, I'm going to list out some things. And, and as you are going to see fairly soon, this is going to be a more heavy sermon. But I think all of us, at some form or another, have experienced times in our life where 
If I were to go down a list of everything going on in your life, you would say, yeah, I'm doing great. School's going good, classes are great, but this thing is not right, and so all of it is defined as not right. Does that make sense? It's, it's broken. And let me, let me read from a list. I'm going to start with maybe something that, some things that teens might relate to, all the way to things that, you know, more of us adults would relate to. But whenever we are in a friend group, and someone in the friend group is maybe spreading rumors about us, or kind of trying to no longer include us in the friend group, Everything else could be fine, but you are broken. If everything is fine in your life, but your job is miserable, you are consumed by that. We don't feel like we have a direction for our future career or or vocation, and it consumes us. We really want to be married, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen anytime soon or maybe ever, and it consumes us. Our marriage that we really wanted is breaking or hurting us, or there's trauma from it. And we feel consumed by it. We're really wanting to get pregnant. And everything else in our life might be going really great, but that is killing us that we aren't able to have a baby. Our children are making bad choices. Everything else might be fine, but when your children are going through making bad choices, making mistakes, when you're going to bed, life is not good. Your child is sick. Your spouse has just been diagnosed with that word. That, That word has come up, and they have it now. And... All of these things, with, with any one of these things, we come to this place where no matter what has been going on in our life, how blessed we feel, in that moment we feel frustration, we feel grief, we feel pain, we feel anger, we feel sorrow. And so far in this series, I've, the method of this series so far has been to say, hey y'all, God wants us to pray. What does that mean? What does that look like? In our day-to-day life, how should we be praying? And I've tried to encourage you to add things to your prayer life, to have more awe of who God is. We praise you forever and ever. To try and add more thanksgiving. God, we thank you for your faithfulness and your steadfast love. We thank you for being God. I've tried to add that. I've tried to add, where is your heart when you pray? Have you been thinking about where your heart is when you come to God in prayer? But because of the nature of life, you you don't have to teach a baby how to cry. You don't have to teach a baby how to be hungry. And you don't have to teach us, people, how to feel heartbroken. We know very naturally what it feels like to feel deep pain and heartbreak. But today's sermon, the goal is, is I'm not going to try and tell you, hey, in the good days in your life, you need to add these prayers of lament. You won't need to do that. But there will be days when you are in the storm. And the question and the thing I would like to talk about today is how can we learn what it means to walk with God through our storms, through our frustration, our grief, our pain, our anger, our sorrow, or the word that is often used in Scripture, lament, or people talk about how do we come to God in our brokenness and cry out to Him as we're going through this valley? Because this lesson isn't going to apply whenever you're not in the valley. You don't need to pray a prayer of lament when times are going well. But we all know that it's not far away that times will not be good. And yes, I still want to hear you praying for other things, but we know when something is consuming our mind, there's only one thing we can think about, and that's that thing to pray about. If any of those things that I read out to you, if you are in those, it's hard to see anything else when you come to God and just want to talk to Him about these. So what we're going to do is I'm going to read two lament psalms, and we're going to talk about it, and and we're we're going to reflect on what it looks like to walk through the storms with God and pray to Him and communicate with Him during those times. 
Psalm 69, if you want to follow along. Uh, I'm not going to read the entire psalm. I'm going to break it up a little bit, but you can follow along on the screen, starting in verse 1. Save me, God, because the waters have reached my neck. I have sunk into deep mud. My feet can't touch the bottom. I have entered deep water. The flood has swept me up. I am tired of crying. My throat is hoarse. My eyes are exhausted with waiting for my God. They're saying, I've been shouting to you for so long my throat is burning. You know, I'm, I'm so tired of, my eyes are tired of crying, talking to you, God, waiting for my God. More numerous than the hairs on my head are those who hate me for no reason. My treacherous enemies, those who would destroy me, are countless. Must I now give back what I didn't steal in the first place? God, you know my foolishness. You know I'm not perfect. You know I've made mistakes. My wrongdoings aren't hidden from you. But me, my prayer reaches you, Lord, at just the right time. God, in your great and faithful love, answer me with your certain salvation. So this is one of the little things that we see in the book of Psalms, uh, depending on who you talk to, are composed, about 40% of the Psalms are built up of these lament kind of Psalms. And one of the consistent themes is the idea that in the midst of all all of it, the psalmist still finds a moment, finds some points in the talk where they say, I still believe in your faithful love. Answer me with your certain salvation. There's still a confidence there. Save me from the mud. Don't let me drown. Let me be saved from those who hate me and from these watery depths. Don't let me swept away by the floodwaters. Don't let the abyss swallow me up. Don't let the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, Lord, for your faithful love is good. Turn to me in your great compassion. Don't hide your face from me, your presence. Your servant, because I am in deep trouble, answer me quickly. Come close to me. Redeem me. Now, I've been debating about whether or not to read this next psalm or not because, as I mentioned, um, in all of these psalms of lament, all of them have terms or points where there's a pleading with God, there's issuing your complaint before God, what you're upset about, asking a request, come close to me, redeem me, the request. Sometimes some of the psalms have things like trying to manipulate God. God, what are people going to say if you let me suffer? They're going to say, look at this guy who faithfully follows God and look what's happening to him. Come on. They try to twist God's arm to help them. And almost all of them have this confidence. But there is one psalm in all of the psalms where the, the speaker at no point ever gives any confidence to God. And so I debated about whether or not to read this, but I'm going to read it. Psalm 88, it's known as the, the one lament psalm where it's all negative, all bad. Lord God of my salvation, by day I cry out, even at night before you. Let my prayer reach you. Turn your ear to my outcry, because my whole being is filled with distress. My life is at the very brink of hell. I am considered as one of those plummeting into the pit. I am like those who are beyond help, drifting among the dead, lying in the grave like dead bodies, those who don't remember anymore, those who are cut off from your power. You placed me down in the deepest pit, in places dark and deep. Your anger smothers me. You subdue me with it, wave after wave. You've made my friends distant. You've made me disgusting to them. I can't escape. I'm trapped. My eyes are tired of looking at my suffering. I've been... My eyes are tired of looking at my suffering. I've been calling out to you every day, Lord. I've had my hands outstretched to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do ghosts rise up and give you thanks? Now there's, some, there's a little bit of irony in that line. Is your faithful love proclaimed in the grave? Your faithfulness in the underworld? 
Are your wonders known in the land of darkness, your righteousness in the land of oblivion? But I cry out to you, Lord. My prayer meets you first thing in the morning. Why do you reject my very being, Lord? Why do you hide your face from me? Since I was young, I've been afflicted. I've been dying. I've endured your terrors. I'm lifeless. Your fiery anger has overwhelmed me. Your terrors have destroyed me. They surround me all day long like water. They engulf me completely. You've made my loved ones and companions distant. My only friend is darkness. Now I want you to think. If I took that out of the Bible and changed a few words and took out the little numbers and I gave that to you and said, hey, could you read this for the prayer on Sunday morning? How many of you would be like, I'm not reading that. The stage is going to get struck by lightning. Did you hear that? And yet, the reason why I read it, this is the number one reason why I brought it up. First, well, this is a side note. First, many of you probably had no idea something like that was in the Bible. But the number one reason why I brought it up is this. In my experience in ministry, when I have counseled, mentored, been around people who are in the pit, people who are going through this, very little of what I say gives any comfort. But this actually seems to bring some comfort. Why is that? Wouldn't you think that this would be the last thing you should give someone who's on the brink? Like, don't give that to them. They're already, you know, struggling with their faith. Don't let them read Psalm 88. And yet it's Psalm 88 that is the thing that more often than not is the thing that they say, you know, that other stuff you gave me to read, it didn't really help. But this Psalm, it helped. It helped me a lot. And so what I'm going to talk about is I'm going to, let's, let's talk about this a little bit. And then uh, I'll make sure we find our way to Jesus eventually. Why does this seem wrong? Why does this feel wrong to us to talk like this? Well, first, I think all of us can say that prayers of lament, it makes some of us uncomfortable because when we're being so real and so honest before God, it, it kind of feels a little disrespectful. It feels a little inappropriate. Like, should I really be talking to God like that? Or you might think it feels childish or immature. Look at me going on and on about my problems. You know, the world doesn't revolve around me. Or you may fear that these prayers... Uh, you know, that make us look weak or helpless or vulnerable, they might say, well, you're really ungrateful or you're, you're unfaithful. How could you say something like that to God? Where's your faith? But that is often exactly how we feel in these difficult and painful situations. We feel helpless. We feel vulnerable and weak. And so why is this so important? And I'm, I'm going to jump around a little bit. None of these are in order, but here are just a few things that I, I thought. Why is lament so important? What we often call confronting God or dis disrespecting someone, talking like this to somebody, God in Scripture doesn't seem to see as unfaithful. When Abraham says to God, hey, you remember you made me a promise? And now don't forget that Abraham kind of broke his side of the promise over and over again. But he said, don't you remember you made me a promise? And like, look how old I am and I still don't see any children. Does God say, that's it, he wasn't faithful, I'm done using him? No. Now, God is faithful to him still. Or think about Job. When Job is going through everything, he says, where is God that I can bring my case before him? Where is he? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give him a piece of my mind. And yes, God shows up and God is pretty stern with Job. But at any point, does God ever say, yeah, Job, he wasn't faithful to me because he got angry with me. He got disrespectful. No. He says, I told, I told Job, where were you when I founded the earth? I put him in his place. But he says to Job's friends, Job was faithful to me throughout. Another thing that I think about, and this is something that uh, 
I'll use the analogy of a parent, but my children are still really little, but there's going to come a day where something truly devastating happens to my kids. Now, at a young age, it might be something to do with a breakup, with a boyfriend or girlfriend. And maybe later on in their life, it might have something to do with, with career decisions or with, with all sorts of the things I read earlier on, those kind of things. And the thing my dad, when we were talking about this, he said, every time you came to me and you yelled at me, even if I had almost nothing to do with, with what you were yelling at me about, I was so glad you were yelling at me and not somewhere else. And this is something that I think is important is when we are going through these seasons, Satan wants really badly for you to walk away and yell at somebody else. And God wants you really badly to turn to him and yell at him like a good father would. Come to me whenever you're going through this. Another thing that I think is important is, and this is the, the third one and then I'll move on is that uh, this is some, pr some free advice for everyone who's either married or will be married someday. But one of the top things that we struggle to learn with marriages, this, and this is with any relationship, but you see it really clearly in marriages. Any relationship, when you have something that is hurting y'all's relationship, if there's something that I'm doing that is breaking down what unites Catherine and I, I try and tell her all the time, you have got to tell me. Because if you tell me when I'm doing it this much, I'm going to have a chance to work on it. But if you let it go 20 years and get to this much, I have almost no hope of being able to solve that. Does that make sense? And so you see it happen sometimes with couples where, you know, let's say that, like here's one example of something when we were newly married that Catherine had to coach me on. The number of times where dinner would be getting ready, we'd have dinner and we'd get the food, and I'd go grab my fork and my cup. And I'd sit down and she'd be like, did you think at all about like getting me a fork and like getting me a cup? Like that would have been nice while you were over there to be thoughtful to do that for me. And I, oh, I didn't think about that. But imagine if over time she never said anything. She just ignored it. Just didn't communicate about it. And there are more examples of things where I'm not thinking about her. I'm thinking about myself and not really considering her. And 10 years down the line, 20 years down the line, she goes, that's it! You never get me the silverware! And I go, wait, why are you so upset about me not getting you the fork? Why, where did this come from? And it's not because it's the fork. It's because it's been year after year after year of things that have felt like you don't ever think about me. And it's been building and building to the point where now it's, it's, it's this huge thing. But if, it, if I had started at the beginning with, God, with, with, with Catherine, if I had started at the beginning with her, we would have had a chance to work on this. Another analogy is I knew a guy at ACU, had a full ride to play football at ACU, and I asked him, he, he had a prosthetic leg. I said, what happened? He said, well, in high school I got staff, and I didn't really take it all that seriously. And before long the staff got worse and got so bad that they had to amputate my leg. You had to amputate your leg because of a staph infection? I had friends that had staph all the time. Yeah, staph is not that bad. Staph that you ignore is really bad. Does that make sense? The same thing is true with our relationships. Whenever you are trying to communicate, I always say this. I always say, yes, you are going to create conflict by telling your spouse or significant other that something is bothering you. But it's nothing compared to the conflict that you're going to have 20 years from now if you don't say anything. You would much rather have that conflict when it's here than whenever it's way down the line. Okay? And I, I don't know if this connects, but I keep thinking about this with God. I keep thinking about... If we don't ever learn how to come to God and communicate our frustration with Him, 
it's going to build and it's going to be like, well, I can't talk to God about that. And over time, eventually there's going to come a point where it's like, yeah, this is over because I never got to the place where I learned how I could say to him, I'm, I'm going through it, God. I need to talk to you about this. Okay, I can hear you asking this. It's a question that I would be asking if I were you. Drew, this all sounds good. The Psalms of Lament, it sounds important. But those are in the Old Testament. Aren't we supposed to be different now that we have Jesus? Isn't like Jesus in our life supposed to mean that we don't do this anymore because we have the eternal hope of salvation? Like, we're not supposed to really get this upset anymore, are we? Well, something that is very, very crucial to our ability to articulate why lament is still something that we need to be doing as Christians is the fact that we follow a crucified and a suffering Messiah. I'm going to talk about it more later, but when Jesus is on the cross, in his greatest trial, you could argue, the words that come out of his mouth are quoting Psalm 22, a lament psalm. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So if Jesus isn't allowed to do it on the cross, or if Jesus is allowed to do it on the cross, I think we're still allowed to do it. I'm going to read two quotes, one's long, one's not as long, by an author, a guy named uh, Andrew Root, that it's a very good book, and it, I, I remembered it when articulate, trying to articulate this for the sermon. Looking at how Jesus gives us uh, a, a model for crying out to God. The only criteria necessary to belong to the church is to know impossibility, suffering, yearning, brokenness, and failure. Only those who have had such experiences, which is everyone, are welcome. For it is only through our loss, yearning, and brokenness that the suffering God of Jesus Christ encounters us. And it is only through these experiences that we can really be in relationship with others. A church that cannot admit it is filled with those who suffer is a community that cannot share relationship with others. For relationships that are rich and transformative are relationships built through our shared loss, yearning, and brokenness through despair. Now let me read one more to you. It is when we are up against death that we find ourselves in despair, that the God of cross is near to us. It is through suffering and despair that God is made known to us, for God is found on the cross. Scripture is a witness to the truth that we see Jesus most clearly when we are up against death, when we are facing suffering. Not because our Messiah is going to come and make all those things vanish out of our lives. If you ever were raised with that, well, you're going through suffering, bring it to Jesus, it'll go away. That's not the reality. But the reason why we see Jesus most clearly in the suffering is because He is the crucified Messiah. He is the, the Messiah that we see on the cross with us. As Daniel would say, He is the Messiah that's in the fire with us. Not making the fire go away, but present in the fire, in the flood with us. If I have a God, let, let me start with a friend. If I have a friend who is a wonderful friend, but when my life falls apart, they're nowhere to be found, or they're not really interested in talking about it, what kind of friend is that? And if we can't have a Messiah, a God who, when we're going through it, is not someone that is able to handle our frustrations, our anger, our sorrow, our pain, what kind of God is that? And we see through Scripture that we have this incredible, wounded, suffering Messiah who is able to say, I am able to lead you through suffering and in suffering because I suffered. 
A Messiah who doesn't suffer is probably not going to be all that good of walking through suffering with us. And so one of the biggest things for me with this that I want to articulate is that sometimes the greatest avenue for praise of God is through our faithfulness in our laments. Sometimes our greatest ability to show God our praise and worship of Him is by our faithfulness to Him in lament. Uh, I talked about this on Wednesday night. I'll try and make sense of it. Let's imagine a scale. If I believe that God is not very in control of my life and good things happen in my life, I don't really give Him a lot of credit because He's not all that much in control. I did all of that. Okay? But if I believe God is very in control of my life and good things happen, then I am going to not give myself all the credit because God's in control. I didn't do anything to earn that good, right? And that sounds good to us, but the same is true for the difficult times. If you have a low view of God's sovereignty and involvement in the world, then whenever bad happens, you're going to be like, eh, I don't really need to talk to God about this. He didn't really have much to do with it. But if you have a very high view of God's involvement and sovereignty, and you're going through, through it, you're going to talk to Him. Because He has control over this. The way I, I've heard someone say it is, why did the psalmist have such intense language to God? It's because the authors truly believed that God could actually and would actually do something about it. The intensity of the lament is because I actually think you can help. I actually think I, you can make a difference. And if you don't actually think, then you're not really going to cry out all that much because you don't actually think he can help. I, uh, uh, author Glenn Pemberton wrote, Why does an all-powerful, when we're, we're in these darkness, why does an all-powerful king suddenly and inexplicably no longer bless me, no longer order life, no longer hold things together? It felt like things were going so good. Why did it stop? If a person did not believe that God was sovereign, there would be no cause to be upset about this. So when we do believe that God is sovereign, we have our faithfulness to God saying, I'm frustrated with this. When Christ quotes Psalm 22 on the cross and says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Never forget that the psalm also says and also demonstrates his faithfulness to God because Psalm 22 ends with, I will declare your name to my people in the assembly. I will praise you. For you have not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from me, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. So my call to you is this. Jesus spent enough time in his life praying to God and using the Psalms to be a language of prayer and lament to God that when he went through his greatest storm, he was able to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, crying out to God in lament, in frustration, in anger, in sorrow, in pain, in grief, and yet still for that to be his greatest declaration of faithfulness. And so this is my encouragement to you. When you're going through the storm, turn to God, not away. Turn towards him. And the way you do that 
If you don't know how to talk to God like this, if you're thinking, how could I possibly, I don't know how to speak to God like that, the Psalms are an incredible resource so that when you get on your knees in the morning, you can say, God, I cry out to you every morning. Help me. Come, rescue me. The waters are up to my head, up to my neck. I'm drowning. And guess what? You won't be being unfaithful. You will be faithfully praising God with your lament. If any of you would like to pray with any about anyone about something that is causing you to feel like you are going through, you're on the brink of hell, as the psalmist says, elders are going to be standing at the doors while we stand and while we sing this song.